years at camp. Um, that's not an exaggeration. I've spent a lot of time at camp. I don't know that I've enjoyed a week of camp more than this last week of camp. Um, and I know I've never been prouder of teens and youth sponsors than I were this. Um, and um, our kids our, were just the life of their cabins. They, when it was time to cheer, you could find the Liberty kids because they were you know, screaming their heads off. And when it was time to play the games, they were just right in there. And when it was time to have their Bibles open and listen to God's Word, like they had their Bibles and they were open and they were listening to God's Word. And so um, uh, I also want to say to our parents, good job. Like, um, you know, obviously Joseph and Jason are doing a great job, but I'm encouraged with the work that our parents are doing in the lives of our students. Um, it's obvious that uh, they're being raised up in good, godly Christian homes. And so, um, well done, way to go, good job. And if you want to hear the bear story, you can ask me after church this morning. But I will say this, when, um, w- so we were, Joseph and I were probably from here to those back doors uh, from the black bear when Joseph said, here, hold Jada while I take a picture. Um, <laughs> So he was being smart. He wasn't being reckless. He handed her off before he, he wasn't trying to take a picture and, um, and hold Jada at the same time. So you can ask us more about that later. <clears throat> I know a lot of people after this week of camp. I learned from Nicole, uh, her testimony. These are from fellow sponsors. I learned of her running from the Lord and being brought back to Christ through a pastor's wife who noticed that she didn't look well and invited her into her home for a meal and to her church for spiritual food. I heard the story of a man named Isaac who grew up on an Indian reservation and got involved with drugs and gangs, but was invited into a pastor's home. And one of the first things that that pastor did when he invited him into this home to live with him, he said, here's the fridge. You're welcome to anything in it. I learned the story of a lady named Cheryl Lee. Her mom, who was in the nursing home, was the only family still living in her family. And when it was time for her to have surgery for the cancer that she had developed, the people in her church brought her meals and sat with her and visited with her mom in the nursing home while she was in the hospital. I heard the story of a man named Gerald, a passionate disciple of Christ who wanted to make more disciples, and he taught himself to like drinking coffee so that he could invite other people to have coffee with him for discipleship because going to lunch every day gets expensive. Each of the stories that these people recounted to me had a common theme, and maybe you already picked up on it. Maybe you know what I'm preaching on this morning, and you've already picked up on the common theme, but there's a common theme that each of these stories that ties each of these stories together. Nicole was brought back to Christ through an invitation to a meal. Isaac was brought into a Christian home and was given food. Shara Lee had people bring food to her to show her the love of Christ. Gerald, in order to show the love of Christ toward others, learned to like eating something that he, or drinking something rather, that he didn't particularly care for so that he could uh, have fellowship with, with other young men. He said, it just doesn't sound the same to ask someone, hey, do you want to go out for juice? He's like, yeah, somehow juice doesn't work, but coffee works. I also learned the stories of Zach and Kyle and Jennifer and Adam and Beth and Dave and Randall and Christian, and I learned their stories of how they came to know Christ or how God was using them in ministry, and I learned all of those things from these people as we sat over a meal at camp. I ate with Joseph and JC a lot, but 
I spent probably even more meals without J.C. and Joseph, learning the stories of other people. The common denominator was that we spent time together over food. And I'm certain that I wouldn't have known those people as well by the end of camp, or I wouldn't have known their stories nearly as well if we hadn't actually sat down and eaten pancakes and sausage, or whatever our other, lasagna, or um, breakfast burritos, whatever the, I'm sure I could remember every single meal, you know me and food. Here's the main point from the passage that I want us to look at together this morning. And at first, when I tell you this main point, you might think, ah, I'm not so sure. But I actually want to prove to you biblically that I really believe this, and I think the scriptures teach that eating together is one of God's primary means to accomplishing his mission. Eating together is one of God's primary means, I'm almost inclined to say is the primary means. I'm not going to say the primary means, but it's one of God's primary means to accomplishing his mission. Father, please help us as we look into your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus says this about himself. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, some of you know this story, and you know previous to that, Jesus says, John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said that he has a demon, but the Son of Man, and now Jesus is actually saying this of himself. The Son of Man has not come like John the Baptist. Jesus is saying of himself, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you see him eating and drinking and misunderstand what he's doing, but you actually ascribe to him gluttony and drunkenness. There, there are two resources that have powerfully shaped my understanding of what I'm going to talk about here today. One is a book by a lady named Rosaria Butterfield entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Some of you are familiar with that resource. Um, I listened to it on audiobook this week. I've, I've listened to and read a lot of books in my life. This book is top 10 for me, if not top five for me. It is, it is excellent. I, I highly recommend it to anyone. Also a book by Tim Chester called A Meal with Jesus. And we see here in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, what Tim Chester points out, he made me aware of. He said that there are three phrases in the Bible that start with Jesus came dot, dot, dot. One of them is in Mark chapter 10. It says Jesus came not to be served, you remember how it goes, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. In Luke chapter 19, it says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There's the second phrase that begins with Jesus came. So Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And then this verse in Luke chapter 7 is the third phrase in the Bible that begins with Jesus came to such and such. Jesus came eating and drinking. And Chester says this, and I agree with him. The first two phrases are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. But in Luke chapter 7, this phrase is explaining to us the method of how Jesus accomplished 
the purpose that he came to accomplish. He came to seek and to save the lost. How did he do it? By eating and drinking. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. How is he communicating that to people? I, I, I believe, as we're going to see here, primarily in the book of Luke this morning, how Jesus came eating and drinking, and it was actually the way he accomplished his mission. It was definitely one of the primary ways he accomplished his mission. Not the only way, but I believe, biblically speaking, it's the primary way. The book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which is where I really focused, where Chester's book focuses and where we're focusing this morning. The book of Luke is full of stories of Jesus eating with other people. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners in Levi's home. And just stop and think about that for a second. A tax collector was a Jew who was exhorting taxes from the Jewish people for Rome. So someone who had betrayed the Jews and was now working for Rome. And here Jesus, who is God, is eating with the enemies of God. In chapter 7, Jesus has, is at a meal at Simon the Pharisee's house when this sinful woman, likely a prostitute, comes in and begins anointing his feet um, with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. In chapter 9, Jesus is at a meal. It's maybe one of the most amazing um, feats of catering in the history of the world. It is. Jesus takes one boy's lunch, feeds 5,000 people with it, and has more leftover at the end of the meal than they had at the beginning of the meal. In chapter 10, Jesus is at Mary and Martha's house. And you remember Martha's busy about serving and Mary's sitting there at the Lord's feet and Jesus enjoys a meal in that home. In chapter 11, Jesus condemns Pharisees and teachers of the law for not reaching out to the poor and marginalized with their meals. This is at a meal. In chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal and urges people to invite the poor to their table rather than their friends. In chapter 19, Jesus does what I have done with many of you before, and he invites himself over. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house for a meal. In chapter 22, Jesus has a meal with his disciples in an upper room, and he begins the first, what we call, Lord's Supper there at his last supper. And then chapter 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two of his disciples in the city of Emmaus. Do you see that as we walk through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, that meals play a really prominent role. They play a really important part of how Jesus is doing ministry. We've been talking about practices that we enjoy together. So the first week we talked about singing together and why it's important for us, not just to sing privately while we're driving in the road or in our homes, but why it's important for us to sing together. And then we talked about the significance of praying together. And yes, you can pray and should pray individually, but there is a, there is a blessed grace that comes to us in praying together. And then we talked last week about learning together and sitting together and being devoted to the Word of God together. And this morning... I want to encourage us, and I really do, I want it to be encouraging. I want to encourage us to eat together, to eat together. It's not an exhaustive treatment this morning. I'm not doing an exhaustive theology of food in the Bible. I'm not doing an exhaustive study of hospitality in the Bible. That's an incredibly uh, wonderful study um, to do in the Bible. 
I am going to use the stories of Jesus eating with other people in the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to notice, I want us to notice three things. And again, this is from, with help from uh, these resources that I used this week. I want us to draw three conclusions or notice three things that I think will both encourage us and direct us with eating together. There is an incredibly important link between our eating together and the Lord's Supper, and I'm actually going to talk about that next week. So next week, we're going to talk about communion together. So this week is eating together. There's a link that can't be broken, but I'm going to highlight that next week between eating together and eating the Lord's Supper together. Three things that I want us to see this morning. First of all, eating together puts the gospel on display. Secondly, eating together fosters community And thirdly, eating together accomplishes God's mission. Those are the three points, and I'll try to highlight them again as we walk through the the Gospel of Luke and noticing these, these things from the stories in the Gospel of Luke this morning. First of all, eating together puts the Gospel on display. Flip back a couple of pages to Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read several verses here. Luke chapter 5. Verses 27 through 32. After this event, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a what? A great feast. I I like feasting. I love feasting. I love big meals. Levi loves big meals. Levi knows that something unbelievable is happening in his life. I don't think Levi even fully understands what it means that this guy comes and asks him to follow him. But here he is, and he makes a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. This is Jesus in the lion's den. Self-respecting Jews would not look approvingly at what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is consorting with the enemy. Jesus calls a man who everyone knows he should not have called. This tax collector is a friend of Rome. He is not a friend of ours. He's an enemy of God. Jesus calls him to follow him, and that guy says, hey, let's party. Great feast in Greek, that means let's party. And he throws a big party at his house, and he invites the people that he knows. He invites his friends. He invites I mean, who does a tax collector hang out with? He hangs out with tax collectors, right? And so these are gathered here with him, reclining at table with him. And and I won't go into great detail here, but many of you understand that that they would have, uh, instead of sitting upright in chairs like we do around a table, they would have these kind of lengthy couches that all kind of angled in toward a centralized table, and they would uh, kind of lean on one side and eat. It was a very relaxed setting. I kind of like that idea. You can just transition right into nap time. You don't even have to move, right? Wipe your mouth off with your napkin and go to sleep. I like that. We should see if we can find a kind of a dining room situation. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. Right? We're so used to reading the Bible. Grumble, grumbling at his disciples, I think they're ticked. I think they're self-righteous. They're indignant. They're saying, what's your master doing? It's not okay what he's doing. Why do you eat and drink? They understand the intimacy, the fellowship, the importance of eating and drinking. They get it. Why does your master go and do this really important thing? Right In ancient cultures, who you ate with on, was intentionally divisive. You ate with the right people, and you didn't eat with the wrong people. 
Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well. I mean, Jesus doesn't answer the question about food. He gives them the gospel. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is putting the gospel on display. He's eating with the enemy. This is the reason Jesus came to earth, to take enemies and make them his friends. You remember the line in the song, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now, what's the next phrase? Seated at your table. What does it mean to be seated at a table? I'm, I'm, at, I'm at home. I'm at home. I'm having meal. Like we're eating together. So it's not once I was your enemy, but now I'm your friend and we're walking down the beach together. It, it's I was your enemy, but now there's I'm seated at a table with you. Jesus is putting the gospel on display. And as you read through Luke, you'll see Jesus is at a meal with, with everyone, tax collectors and these Pharisees that are grumbling about him. There are other meals where he's at a meal with, with those guys. So he's an, he's an equal opportunity. He's here for all sorts of sinners, for tax collectors and for sinners, uh, for Pharisees, for his disciples, for prostitutes, for men, for women, for everyone. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And as you read through Luke, you'll see Jesus is at a meal with everyone. One of my primary desires, one of my primary applications for us this morning is that we would use our meals missionally. You know what I mean when I use the word missionally? Like as a mission, on purpose, to use our meals missionally. Now, not every single one. Look, there are plenty of times where you're in a hurry, you grab a sandwich in the truck. I'm not, I'm not talking about, but, but for, for there to be factored in and scheduled into the routines of your life meals for the purpose of gospel ministry. Who is at your table? Is the gospel on display even at your table? As we begin to think, and I'm getting a little ahead, of, I'm making some application that we haven't even kind of laid the groundwork yet for, but let me, it'll make sense here in a minute. As you use your meals missionally, brothers and sisters, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to be like Jesus. Singles and widows, red and yellow, black and white, foreigners, refugees, Texans, Christians, Believers, unbelievers, atheists, friends of God and enemies of God. I want you to include, like Jesus, because of the gospel, everyone. Jesus is using meals to share the gospel. And as you read through the gospel of Luke and you see the meal situations here, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel at the meals and by the meals. He's putting the gospel on display. Jesus is bringing grace to mankind in the meals. And, and I mean, this is a little bit of a side note, but let's just remember that food itself is a grace from God. There, there are, I mean, God could have had us re-energize ourselves in a lot of other ways, right? I mean, we could have been like plants and just gotten energy from the sun, right? Don't forget to spend 45 minutes outside today, you're going to run out of battery you know you won't like 
But instead, God, God says, no, I'm going to have them refuel themselves, and I'm going to give them food to do it. And so that's gracious. And then not only does he give us food to do it, he, he, he says he, he could have made everything taste like oatmeal. And he didn't. Hallelujah. I know some of you like oatmeal, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but there's a lot of other things to eat besides oatmeal. God made, God made things crunchy and sweet and sour and soft. And, I mean, there's the, the variety, and then there's the ability. Like, people actually make food that looks beautiful, right? You're like, I don't want to eat that. It looks so pretty. And then I eat it. Um, the food itself is actually a sign of God's graciousness to us. Meals are a place where we see God's grace on display. Not only, though, brothers and sisters, is the gospel put on display at a meal, but in order for meals to be safe and to be intimate, you actually need to understand the gospel. Meals are intimate. Some of you don't like having meals with other people because, because, well, what are we going to do for an hour? Like, they're going to sit across the table from me, and they're going to look at me, and I'm going to look at them, and we're going to have to have something to do and something to talk about. And we often don't want the intimacy and the vulnerability that come with a meal. We don't want to eat with others because they'll see us. One of the reasons we don't like sitting like this, we can, we can see each other. They'll see that we don't have our act together. If I have someone over, they will see that my house is messy. They will see that my floor is dirty. They will see that I'm not a great cook. They will see that I don't have my act together. They'll see that we don't have our marriage together. We'll, they'll see that our kids are out of control. They'll see that I'm a glutton. They'll see our sin. Yeah. But the gospel... And your understanding of what Christ has done for you makes your meal table a safe place to be a sinner. Now, please understand, when I say a safe place to be a sinner, that's a phrase that we've used in our home for a long time. The McMorris home is a safe place to be a sinner. I had to establish that early on because I'm the leader of it, right? And it's pretty obvious that we're the main struggle in our home has to do with this sinner right here. So it needs to be a safe place for sinners in order for me to, have to, to, to find my home there. The gospel, brothers and sisters, though, with each other, makes it safe for us to be a sinner. What do I mean by that? We need to understand the gospel well in order to eat together well with each other. The good news is that my righteousness is found in Christ and it frees me from performance. It frees me from self-protection. It feels me, frees me from trying to be something that I'm not. I know that my approval, my righteousness, my acceptance is not in whether or not you think I'm a great host or I'm a great cook or my house is perfect or my marriage is perfect. I'm safe because of Jesus. And I know the gospel well enough to know that you're a rascal as well. And that we're here together, and you're a rascal, and I'm a rascal, and we need Jesus. We need Jesus. I, I, I'm not at your house because you're a great cook, and you're not at my house because I have a great living room. Like, we're together because Christ has made us one, and there again, the gospel is on display. I mean, you look around this room, and like, there's a bunch of us who wouldn't know each other except for the fact that Christ has brought us together in the family of God. Some of you, because of business and work and, and, and shared interests would know each other, but a lot of us would never know each other if it wasn't for the fact that Christ has brought us together. And so this is even what brings us together 
in our meals. The, the uh, Eating together puts the gospel on display. I know I'm a sinner. I know you're a sinner. I don't have to impress you. I'm in Christ, and so I'm safe. The gospel puts, or eating together puts the gospel on display. Secondly, eating together fosters community. Eating together fosters community. The word companion, I, I read this this week, the word companion comes from two Latin words, cum and panis. Companion, cum panis, companion. Those two Latin words mean together bread. Bread together. We're, we're going to eat bread together. How, and that's the word companion, to bread together, to eat together. We're going to, and we use the phrase, don't we? Break bread together, right? It's in the scriptures, it's in old, in old hymns. We're going to break bread together. We're going to experience companionship. And again, when you look through these stories of Jesus, here's Jesus and Mary and Martha's home, and he's developing communion with Mary and Martha. He's developing community with his disciples. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' house in order to develop communion and community with Zacchaeus. Christ is experiencing the Last Supper with his disciples, this communion, this intimate group of men that he is with. Chapter 24, the risen Christ has a meal, a community meal with these disciples throughout the Gospel of Luke. And then you look, at you, we begin to read in Acts chapter 2 or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this was the habit of the early church. They were breaking bread together, and it even, there are even places where it's, it seems to be describing daily breaking bread with each other. Like they're in each other's homes regularly. They're experiencing this community together because Christ has made them a community. Christ has made them a community. And we'll emphasize that even more next week when we talk about the Lord's Supper or communion. We call it communion. We forget what, what does that word mean, communion, to have community, to, to have union, co-union with each other. I'm taking some of the body and blood of Christ. You're taking some of the body and blood of Christ. It's going into your body. It's going into my body. We're sharing something spiritual. We're sharing something intimate. We're sharing something that brings two really different people. Look around the room and just try to figure out who's the most different person from me in this room. You're together with them because of Christ. Everybody point to the weirdest person in the room. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can point to me. Eating together, eating together fosters community because think about this. Eating together in some ways is, has a leveling effect. Think about this. I read this, um, and this was a powerful illustration to me. It's one thing for me to go to the, um, the, uh, the soup kitchen. It's a wonderful thing to go to a soup kitchen and to serve and minister in a soup kitchen. But when I stand on one side of that line in the soup kitchen with my apron on and I'm ladling out soup for you, Great thing to do, but it does to some degree communicate, I'm here to rescue you. I'm, I'm kind of, you need me, right? You need food. I've got food. Come find me, and, I'll, and I'm going to take care of you. But brothers and sisters, when we sit together at a table with each other, whether you're at my house or I'm at your house, we're sitting on the same level. We're sharing food together. There, there is something leveling about sharing a meal, meal together. The early church ate together. They fellowshiped together. They shared things in common with each other, Acts chapter 2. And here, the scriptures indicate, and I believe, is where we really become community. In his book, Tim Chester says, sharing a meal 
is not the only way to build relationships, but it is number one on the list. Sharing a meal is not the only way to build relationships, but it is number one on the list. Let me ask you this. Do you feel relationally connected to your church? Do you feel relationally connected? Do you feel like you're part of a family, or do you feel like it's a thing you go to once a week? And I'm like 99.9% certain that your feeling of community and communion here at Liberty is directly related to how much table fellowship you enjoy with others at this church. Do you feel like, I don't really, I don't really feel connected? Have you had meals together with people in this church? Prove me wrong. Talk, I mean, feel free to catch me afterwards and say, I feel really connected and I've never eaten with anyone in this church. But I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, I have a feeling that it is directly connected to the amount of time you've spent with other people in this church sharing a meal together. Do you feel connected? I can almost guarantee you that you're spending time over table fellowship with others. Do you feel a little bit like, man, I just don't, I don't feel connected? I, I, I think that it is directly related to the amount of time you spend doing this with each other. When's the last time you had someone into your home for a meal? Or went to a restaurant with a church family? Now, don't wait for someone else to ask you, right? I think sometimes we think, I don't feel connected. Nobody, like, have you, have you reached out, right? This is a, absolutely a two-way street. I know that for some in this room right now, this is the scariest moment of my sermon for you because I just asked you when's the last time you had someone into your home and you're thinking, nope, I don't do that. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And if you're too busy to obey God, you're too busy. You are too busy. But I bet you eat sometimes. You think, nope, I don't do that. My house is a mess. Having people over to a cluttered, messy house will only encourage them. I assure you, have someone over and they see that your children somehow, like you cleaned the house, you went to church, and you had people over to your house for lunch after church, and somehow your kids, they weren't even there, but they messed up the house in the meantime. Like, that's just the way, that's the way it goes. I can promise you that if I come to your house for a meal and it's messy and I see that your house is messy, I'm going to think, oh, good. Their house is lived in and gets messy as well. You might think, no, 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 I'm, I'm introverted. I, I just, that's, that's, that's not me. Well, we'll partner up with someone who isn't introverted. Li likely your spouse isn't, right? Usually introverts marry extroverts and vice versa. But maybe you, both you and your spouse are a little quiet, a little timid. A little bit. Well, but there are people in this church who aren't, so invite them over and then invite a third couple over, and now you've got basically two other couples having conversation in your house. You hosted it, right? That's great. My wife and I do this regularly. We'll think, hmm, we need to have so-and-so over. But man, they don't talk much. So we're going to invite someone else as well, and they're going to talk a lot, and this is going to be great. And if you come to my house and there's another couple that we've invited at the same time, you can figure out which couple you are. Like, oh, are we the quiet couple or are we the talky couple? You'll have to figure that out. I'm giving away all my insider secrets, but it's true. We do, we, we do that, and we have a wonderful time with it. You think, not well, I'm single. Again, partner partner with another single person and have people over. Get married to a different single person, and then you can have all sorts of people over, right? 
you can have someone over for coffee and dessert. You think, my, my house is so small. Yeah, man, just cram in there. It'll be okay. Or you can do like Jesus and Zacchaeus, and you can invite yourself over to someone else's house and say, hey, I'll bring dessert. Can you make coffee? And I'd love to, to get to know you. You might think, I'm not a good cook. I'm not a good cook. Pick up pizza. I don't have great dishes. Paper plates work. One, like, I'm just telling you, you don't have an excuse. I've, I've got an answer for your excuse. I do. I promise. I don't want to get my house dirty. Ooh, now that, that moves into a little bit of a different category for a second. If you're like, my house is nice, and we have white carpet, and like, you know, the kids are out, and if you are unwilling to do table fellowship with people because you don't want to get your house dirty, I'm going to say this very directly, but honestly, you're an idolater. You idolize something that won't last forever and forsake things that will last forever. Okay, so don't be guilty of that. You've been brought to the table of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you can't get your carpet dirty? Jesus paid the infinite price to bring you to his table. You, you can get your carpet dirty or break some plates or overspend on your grocery budget this month in order to eat with other people. Just practically speaking, while I'm kind of talking about some practical things, invite people over. If they offer to bring something, take them up on it, right? Sometimes uh, when we're having someone over, someone will offer, you know, will ask, hey, can I bring something? And I'll tell Angie, yeah, tell them the meal. Just tell them, bring the meal, the whole thing. Keep it simple, right? A, a, the, a five-star cuisine is not the point. Paper plates and pizza are just fine. Think through what you might be able to do that evening. Are you going to sit inside, outside? Are you going to bring some board games? Are you going to read the Bible and pray together? There's just a lot, of, there's a lot of ways to make this very simple and very easy. The, the point, again, the point is not for you to be Martha Stewart and impress other people. If you are Martha Stewart, right? I don't think Martha Stewart's here this morning. Go for it. Do Martha Stewart, right? But, but sometimes that can actually almost discourage, right? So like we show up and we have 19 kids and you know, our hair's on fire and your house is perfect. And we, it's a little bit intimidating for us, right? So, so it, that's not the point. The point is, brothers and sisters, for us to remember this. Hey, you have Jesus in you, and I have Jesus in me. And, well, let's sit down in one of the, one of the, uh, the most common forms of grace that God has given to all of us through enjoying a meal together. And let's experience the unity and the community that God has um, secured for us. Having a meal together doesn't make us brothers and sisters. It expresses that we are. Jesus makes us brothers and sisters. Having a meal together fosters that reality. It makes me feel like I'm a brother or a sister with you. God does wire different people differently, and that's okay, right? Some of, some of you, like this is just natural. You would have people over for three meals a day. I kind of tend to be that way. I mean, I'm just kind of like, yeah, everybody's always welcome at my house. Thankfully, God gave me a wife, right, who kind of says, hey, hold on a second. Like maybe not every meal every day. God wires different people differently. If you're married, visit with your spouse and figure out what's a good rhythm, what's a good, what's a good routine, but remember, it's not about you. It's not about your house. It's not about your cuisine. It's about God and others. Another quotation from Chester's book. Many people love the idea of the church's community. Many people love the idea. We like the idea 
of my church family, my church community. But when we eat together, we encounter not some theoretical community, but real people with all their problems and quirks. The meal table is an opportunity to give up our proud ideals by which we judge others and accept in their place the real community created by the cross of Christ with all its brokenness. Look, if you're a white middle-aged farmer and the only people you ever meet with eat with is white middle-aged farmer, farmers, you've misunderstood. You don't get the what the what Christian community and the gospel is. It brings very different people together. And in, the, in these early churches, there were slaves and slave owners together, sitting together in church, eating together at church. Number three. Number three, eating together advances the mission of God. Eating together advances the mission of God. Flip over to Luke chapter 14. It's actually how God gets his mission done. Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus is having a meal with some Pharisees. And in verse 12, he says, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. If you're a white middle-class farmer and the only people you invite to your house are white middle-class farmers, don't invite. But verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Those are, those are not the people that we think about for Thanksgiving. Those are not the people that we, that, like that, that doesn't look good on my Instagram. It doesn't look good on my Instagram. I want to have Thanksgiving meal and I want to have some good-looking culturally appropriate people like me at the table so I can get that picture with all of my china set up just right. And that, that's going to look good on the Instagram. But who's, this is not, hold on a second, poor people, crippled people, lame people, and blind people? That's not going to look cool on my Instagram. But Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite these people and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What Jesus is saying is use your life, use your meals as mission. And I, there's a lot of overlap with this point and the first point that the gospel, that, that eating together puts the gospel on display. Eating together advances the mission of God. Many people feel, many of you may feel like you need, you, I won't ask you to raise your hand, though I'm tempted to. I, I would guess that many in here feel like I need to be doing more for God. I just need to be doing more for God. I need to be doing more for God. And I mean, I just, I'm not a, I'm not a missionary, but maybe I need to be going on missions trips or I need to be teaching classes or I need to be doing full-time Christian ministry or man, like, I don't know, our church used to do like evening visitation and boy, I, I feel like I need to be doing that, but I always hated it when we did it anyway. I mean, who likes to knock on strangers' doors? Like, I mean, I just, but I just feel like I need to be doing more for God. Brothers and sisters, let me, let, me, let me kind of free you up a little bit and just tell you that one of the best things you can do is very simple. You can have people over for a meal. You can have people over for a meal. One of the most effective ways you can do ministry is to eat with people. You think, I need to go knock on my neighbor's door. Yeah, knock on it and say, hey, we're having chili tonight. Do you guys want to come over? 
I've shared the gospel several times in the last few weeks with different individuals. I didn't knock on a single door. I wasn't sitting on an airplane. Like knocking on doors and sitting on airplanes apparently are like the best ways in the world to, but, but, but did you know there's other ways to tell people about Jesus? It wasn't to the grocery store bagger. I, I want to I free you up. I want to tell you that evangelism and discipleship do not need to take place through a venue that is unnatural to you. Once, this last, last few weeks when I shared the gospel, was over coffee with someone in my home. Once was over lunch at XIT Steakhouse. Another time was in my van driving from, from one place to another with, with, a, with a friend in my vehicle. But two of those three times were... Like there was food involved and meals involved. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm just saying like I'm, I'm not, I want to be an obedient evangelist. I don't consider myself a gifted evangelist. I, I don't consider myself even particularly a very faithful evangelist. But I shared the gospel three times in the last few weeks. And two of the three times were because we were sitting there eating together or drinking coffee together. Chester says this, if you share meals with others, and have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building up the Christian community and reaching out in mission. I, I like that. I think that's simple. And I realize, again, I realize for some of you, it's like, man, we just don't ever do that, and this is going to be new, and this is, we're, I'm going to be uh, uh, t- you know, kind of taking a step of faith out, and this is not natural for me to, t- to go to a restaurant with someone or, or to have someone into my home. Brothers and sisters, you take that step of faith. Share a meal with someone and have a passion for Jesus. You say, well, what are we going to talk about? You'll figure it out. Do you have a passion for Jesus? You'll end up talking about him. You will. You'll ask them how they came to church, how they, wh- how they grew up. Are they a Christian? That sort of thing. I, I was listening to the, uh, the speaker at camp this last week who did a fantastic job. And one of his questions for people is simply, are you a Christian? I mean, he's just, that's a pretty easy way to start a conversation, right? Are, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Share meals with others and have a passion for Jesus and you will be building up Christian community and reaching out in mission. Are you using your meals missionally? Use your meals missionally. When you really want to know someone, what do you do? This is pretty natural. This is pretty instinctive. You do this with business relationships all the time. Hey, let's get together for coffee and talk about that. Hey, I'll meet you for lunch and we're going to talk about that business plan, how we're going to farm, how we're going to ranch, how we're going to teach, how we're going to... Inviting your neighbors over for coffee and dessert is 10,000 times more profitable than door knocking your neighborhood. Have people into your home for meals, take them out, grab coffee. Eating together is one of God's primary means to accomplishing his mission. Think about this. Think about the story of the world. I'm almost done. Think about, the, think about the story of the Bible. Some of you might still be inclined to think, I think you're making too big a deal, Jeremy, about eating. You like to eat, Jeremy, and you want us to invite you over to our house for food, and that's why you're preaching this sermon. Yes, but that's not the only reason. The first thing God does for Adam and Eve in the garden is give them a menu the fruit of every tree except for one. The climax of the book of Exodus, I think this was the passage that Matt preached on, the 
climax of the book of Exodus, when the covenant is established with God's people, an act of salvation is commemorated in a meal. And the elders of Israel eat with God on the mountain. God, God could figure out ways to establish covenant with a lot of other sorts of events. God uses a meal. In Isaiah, Isaiah promises a messianic banquet of rich foods that will never end. In Isaiah 25, and Jesus anticipates this eternal meal with God in the feeding of the 5,000, a meal with more food at the end than at the beginning. And the Last Supper, Jesus looks forward to and promises the time when he will eat with his disciples in the kingdom of God. And the Bible story ends with a meal as we celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm not making a big deal out of food. I'm not making a big deal out of eating together. The story of God begins and ends with us eating together. Jesus Christ describes the gospel work that he has done for us in terms of, I've come for you, I've died for you, to bring you to a feast. Jesus comes, and he's eating and drinking, and he is such a party animal, and I'm not, that is not an uh, inappropriate phrase for me to use for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is known for eating and drinking so much that people watch him and go, look at that guy, he's out of control. Wine, he's like, a, he's like a drunkard and a glutton. That guy's always going to big feasts with tax collectors or Pharisees, or he's always in people's houses eating. He wasn't a, he wasn't a glutton. He wasn't uh, a drunkard. But his means, his method for accomplishing his mission included meals together. So Jesus himself brings us to a table. And here's how I want you to, to think about this. Brothers and sisters, the new heavens and new earth, Joseph even mentioned it in his, uh, in his comments or in his prayer earlier today, the new heavens and new earth are going to be known at least in part by our feasts together. Jesus, I'm kind of looking at a timeline here. So here we are, Jesus has died. Here we are currently, and here's the wedding supper of the lamb, okay? Jesus, Jesus died to bring us to the table of God, and we will ultimately be brought to that wedding feast. Let's be bringing people to our tables right now and pointing ahead to that great feast someday. And if they don't know the Savior, let's get them ready for that great feast someday. And if they do know the Savior, let's have feasts together that remind us and bring that energy and that joy. Hey, this is something that we're going to do forever. And I don't think it'll be pizza and paper plates. It might be a step up from that, but I kind of like pizza. So maybe there'll be some kind of, you know, Vegetarian pizza in heaven. I don't know. The whole eating animals in heaven thing. I'm not sure what to do with that yet, but that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is to remind us, to show us, to put on display that Jesus Christ himself came eating and drinking. He said that of himself. He came eating and drinking. He came to give his life, to be a servant and not to be served. And he does those things by eating and drinking together with other people. Jesus paid a huge price to bring us to the table so that we can have communion with him and we can have fellowship with others. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's use our meals missionally. Let's use our meals missionally. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. We're going to close our time in prayer. Father, even before I do that, I, I really do. I want to encourage you to use your meals missionally, to eat with other people and love Jesus with them, to love Jesus in front of them. I hope, I hope that this has not discouraged you 
from having people into your home or to having people out for a meal or to having people out for coffee. I want this to encourage. I want, I want this to seem like uh, as easy as breathing. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I can do it with other people, and I can love Jesus in the process. Brothers and sisters, I really do believe that eating together is one of God's primary means to accomplishing his mission, his mission of advancing the gospel, of building community, and preparing people for that great day. If you're here this morning and you, you don't know for yourself um, Christ's salvation, you've, you've never come to the table of God because you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, let me encourage you, do that today. Make sure that you will be with Christ in that great heavenly feast. And if you have done that, then rejoice in what God has done to bring you to that table. You were once an enemy, but now you're seated at the table. So we say thank you to Jesus. Father, we thank you that your son Christ has brought us to your table. I pray that you would strengthen us in Christ and in the gospel through our times of eating together. Lord, we know that it's not pizza or tacos or steak that will bring about spiritual strengthening. But in communing with our fellow brothers and sisters or bringing those who don't know Christ into our meals together, we can be strengthened and we can see the kingdom of God advanced and your mission accomplished. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that and help us to remember it. Help, I pray that we would be motivated by the great and glorious news that you have come and paid a great price to bring us to your eternal banqueting tables. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.